Well, good morning, Good Shepherd, whether you are live streaming in or you live on our Moss and Zor campus. I'm Talbot Davis, pastor here. So glad that you've connected with us on this Resurrection Sunday and really glad to be bringing this message today. But before I do, man, sometimes you get a glimpse of what heaven is like when you're still here on earth. And I don't know about you, but I thought that that music was an example of exactly that. Would you let those folks know? how much you appreciate their ministry. Yeah. So today's message, which is the the wrapping up cross purposes of the series, today's message is called, I don't believe what I just saw. And it's one of those messages that comes from a few different places within the the library we call the Bible, not a book, but it is a library and kind of going to take a brief tour of some places in the gospels, the biographies of Jesus, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. But if you have have your Bible with you and it looks kind of like mine and you wanna know, well, where do I open it? Where should I keep my finger? Go to John chapter 21, starting at verse five, and I'll get there eventually. And in the meantime, the other verses that we're gonna look at, they will be up on the screen. And so you won't miss a thing. We think it's really valuable for you to see the scripture for yourself because we believe that this library is really unlike any other library on earth. God breathed his life into its words. He put his truth onto its pages. You may still be wrestling with this. We just want you to know where we stand in leadership at this church. We believe that the Bible is inspired and eternal and true. And because we believe that, when we're together and when we're talking about the Bible, and some of you are already beating me to the punch, we do this kind of different thing. We lift it up. And you can, if you're live streaming and you're wondering, well, should I lift it up in my house? Yes, please do. And, and if you've never been here before, or never tuned in before, and you're seeing phones in the air and Bibles in the air, and you're like, that's kind of strange what y'all do in that church. You know how we answer that? We admit it. Yeah, it's different. But we've decided it's a moment of oddity that shapes our identity as a community. We are a collection of people joyfully surrendered to the authority of the word and eager for its power to be let loose in our lives. Amen? Before I say another word, let's pray. So Lord, thank you that you are so good, that your Holy Spirit who inspired Matthew and Mark and Luke and John is still filling us, still anointing us. And I ask, Lord, that the real preacher today, the Holy Spirit, would rise up within me. I need to fill all my words and my thoughts with who you are and what you're about. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, is it okay with with you all at Good Shepherd Live and live stream? If I start out this message, I mean, it's... Easter 2021, for crying out loud. But if I start out this message by apologizing in advance for breaking my own rules and violating my own policy, is that okay? You can nod. I can see you nodding on live stream. Is that okay with you if I break all my own rules? Because here's what I'm talking about. It's been probably 27, 28 years of doing Easter Sundays that I have vowed, I have promised, I'm not going to talk about, we're not going to sing about Jesus on the cross on Easter Sunday, because that was all for Good Friday. So we're only going to focus on the resurrected King who's resurrecting me. 
And I've also decided, had this policy, had these rules for all these years that I wouldn't devote a Sunday morning message to some of the minor characters around Jesus' story as he perfectly executes his own execution. But I would instead focus all the attention on Jesus, the resurrected king. And, And that's been my policy. And those have been my rules for almost a quarter century now. And it's done pretty good. Except today, I'm breaking all those rules. I'm violating all that policy. And we're going to look at a character around Jesus. And we're going to talk a little bit about Jesus on the cross. But the good news is, I'm going to teach you all, the smart people of Good Shepherd, I'm going to teach you a new word today. And I'm going to show you how a wardrobe adjustment, yeah, Something somebody does with their clothes changes everything about how we understand Jesus. If a wardrobe adjustment giving meaning to Easter isn't worth a hallelujah today, I don't know what is. But we're going to see how all these things come together. And, and I believe that of all the Easter, Easter's that, that, that I have been through, this thing that I'm going to tell you in a little bit in, in 2021 of all years is the thing so many of you need. I, I can't wait. I can't wait to get where we're going. And it all stems from something I heard about Peter, St. Peter. And I pondered it for, for several weeks. And I realized how remarkable, and, and you may not know this, but I realized how remarkable it is that the same stories about Peter are told in all four of Jesus' biographies, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. They all tell this same story. That's highly unusual. And this Peter, yeah, Peter who is the the namesake of a whole lot of St. Peter's churches. Peter who was, for all practical purposes, he was the first pope. For those of you who grew up Roman Catholic, yeah, he was that. And the the same Peter who is not who is not manning the pearly gates, deciding who gets into heaven and who doesn't. That's folklore. That's not faith. Jesus is the one making that decision, and he doesn't need any assistance from Peter. But this same Peter, he has the most interesting arc to his life. And the arc that Peter has to his life, I think is, it re- reflects the arc that so many uh, of us, you and me and live streaming and live that we have to our lives, and, and the arc that I'm talking about, it starts out in this conversation that, that Jesus has kind of a private conversation when they're surrounded by 11 other people, because Jesus has his 12 apostles in his inner circle. And about a year before the events of Good Friday and Easter Sunday, there's this conversation going on. And Jesus is speaking, and it's in Mark chapter 8, verse 29 through 31. Take a look. It's up on the screen if you don't have your Bible here. Mark 20, chapter 8, verse 29 through 31. But what about you, Jesus asked? Who do you say that I am? I'm tired of finding out who other people say that I am. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. 
Who do you say that I am? I know Peter says, you, you're the Messiah, you're the Savior, you're the one. Well, you know what's interesting about that moment? Is that Peter is, the, it would be so good if my voice actually changed like I wasn't 13 anymore. It would be so good. Peter, is that better? That Peter is the first human being to identify that Jesus is the Savior. Up to now, the only people who knew who Jesus were were not people. They were the demons. And all in, 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 in the Gospel of Mark, up to this moment, people have been asking the question, not able to answer it, except the demons. They know very well who Jesus is from the beginning. So Peter is the first human being to correctly identify Jesus. And you could say that at this moment, Peter is, he's a believer. He's like the monkeys or smash mouth, depending on where, when you were born. Peter here is a believer. And some of you, you remember what that was like. Maybe for those of you who, like me, did not grow up this way, did not grow up in church. And maybe you're, you're moving from not believing to believing was kind of sudden and a little bit dramatic. And, and for me, it was very much that case. And it was like coming in from a blizzard to sit by a roaring fire. It was so comforting and it was so reassuring. And, and for others of you, you remember what that elation was like and what that euphoria was like. And, and to be able to realize, I am loved. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I just am loved. Loved and, and for me, that, that real elated feeling, because I'm sort of hyper-competitive to a degree that's not always very healthy. It's like, like never healthy. But I, I was like, yes, because I'm a believer now, Jesus is coming back. He really is coming back at the end of everything. And when he does, hello, look at me. I'm going to be on the winning team. He's going to mop up and I'm going to be on his team. And, and then maybe for others of you, it wasn't quite that sudden and dramatic, but it was more gradual. You had parents who were in the faith, and, and your parents passed faith onto you. They didn't do it perfectly. They did do it passionately. And something about the rhythms and the routines of church life brought you so much comfort. And some of you remember that Sunday school teacher, and you can still smell her perfume and she was the one who taught you about the love of Jesus and something deep inside you. you. You knew someone that nice and that genuine has to be representing someone real. And you believed. And others of you, maybe it wasn't quite in Sunday school, but maybe you became an adolescent, a teenager, and there was that youth pastor at the church that you grew up in, and that youth pastor was just subversive enough to be cool. And because he was subversive enough to be cool, that faith that you've been told about, you embraced as your own, and you, like Peter, yeah, you believed. Except something happens on, because I told you Peter's got an ark, and something happens about a year after he has the courage, the courage to say, Jesus, you are Messiah, when saying those words could get you killed. And about a year later, Peter is scared of exactly that happening to him because it's Thursday night before Jesus is crucified on Good Friday and Jesus is on trial for his life. And look what Peter does. It's Matthew chapter 26 and verses 69 and 70. Now Peter was sitting out in, now Peter, Peter was sitting out in the courtyard 
and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't even know what you're talking about, he said. Whoa, he was a believer. And now, because maybe Jesus is inconvenient, maybe because he's scared for his own neck, whatever the reasons, his, he was a believer, now he's, he unbelieves. He's an unbeliever. And I bet, I bet some of you know what that's like too. That, that you believed and there was some initial euphoria, there was some initial excitement, but then life got in the way I'll always remember that woman who, who told me with just a flat affect, you know, no emotion at all. And, and she said, I tried faith and faith didn't work for me. And maybe you know what that's about. You tried faith and the bipolar didn't go away. You tried faith and the marriage didn't work out. You tried faith and the loved one still died of cancer. You tried faith and the virus didn't vanish. You tried faith and it didn't work out. Unbeliever. Or maybe, maybe for more of you, it was when you went away to college and you had some faith in high school and you skipped off to college and, and you got to college and man, you, you signed up for that religion class in college because you naively thought, oh, I'm going to religion class and the religion class is going to help me shore up my religion. What you didn't know is that the very purpose of that religion class that you went to in college was to tear your religion down bit by bit. And that professor seemed so smart and so wise, and poked all those holes in the Bible, and you ended up thinking that the Bible you'd grown up believing in wasn't worth the paper it was written on. You had been sold a childhood bill of goods, and so you no longer believed anymore, because none of the cool people believed either. Or maybe if that's not exactly what happened to you in college, something else happened in college, that season of your life, and you, you started chasing after other pursuits, and those other pursuits were, were just irresistible. And so you unresisted your way all the way to unbelieving. Yeah, it's Peter's ark. It's your ark. And Peter is just getting going. He goes from believing and then he's unbelieving. And, and then... Peter denies Jesus once, which we read about in Matthew, and he denies him a second time. And, and, and the third time that Peter denies Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 60, he like really brings home the bacon of denial. Look, look what he says in chapter 22, verse 60. Peter, Peter replied, man, come on, man. I, I might have added that. Come on, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crow. You know, you know what he's saying with, with, with that emphasis and, and one of the other stories where this occurs, it actually mentions that he used profanity. And, and what he's saying in, in this moment, not only was I a believer and then an unbeliever, but now I never believed. Well, how preposterous that you could ever think that I would do anything so stupid, so blankety-blank ridiculous as believing. And maybe, maybe that's some of you. Maybe that some of you, you're, you're here live or 
you're here live stream because you're being nice to your family, because it's an Easter custom, because it's a nice springtime ritual, but deep down, you're not buying what I'm selling even a little bit. And the thought that you ever believed, who would do something so ridiculous as that? And, and maybe for a lot of you, what's really happened over the last year or so is that politics have gotten in your mind and in your way. And you have seen the way people of faith have intersected with the political realities, and you've decided you want nothing to do with it. How could, how could anyone who calls themselves a Christian vote for Trump? How, how could anyone who follows Jesus support Biden? And you've decided you're, you're done with it. You keep seeing people of faith and churches align themselves too closely with politics and too closely with causes, and you are done with all of it. Thank you very much. What Peter did in a night, believing, unbelieving, hey, I ain't never believed, has been growing in you for the last couple of years, and now it, it actually just sort of fits like a glove. And one of the things that I've wondered about Peter on this night when he went from believing, unbelieving, hey, I never believed. Who did he think was going to take Jesus' place? I mean, it was probably in his mind, yeah, this Messiah, this Savior to whom I have hitched my wagon, he's no good, he's gonna die, this is done. But who's going to take his place? Because I don't know if you know this or not, we all need gurus, we, we all need role models. We all need people to follow. Frankly, if you're honest with yourself, we all need saviors. And it's so interesting to me to, to see what happens in our culture these days. Every once in a while, the headlines will say, oh, America's becoming less religious. It's becoming more secular is the, is the word. And even this week, there was a headline that under 50% of the people in the U.S. identify with a church. And, and everybody says, well, they, they become, people are becoming less religious and I'm like, no, they're not. They're more religious. It's just we've exchanged the Messiah that we have with one that we want. People aren't less religious. It makes perfect sense to me that politics is so much more important in people's lives than it ever has before. Well, of course, when you're too proud or too smart to need a Messiah, you will latch on to the next one you can see. And also, I don't, I don't know if you thought about it this way. I, I alluded to it earlier. It, in, in this story about Peter, believing, unbelieving, hey, I never believed. I don't know if you realize how remarkable it is that the biblical library tells this story in all four Gospels. That, that most holy books of most other religions do not include the flaws of their heroes. In fact, if you dare, in some religions, if you dare to suggest that their heroes had flaws, it'll get you killed. The Bible is so fundamentally different. The, the gospel writers, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, they go to these great efforts to highlight all the, just how multifaceted their heroes are, warts and all. And, and actually, I, I happen to think that the warts are the point. Because when you think about it, Matthew and Mark and Luke and John 
all of them, they could have told the story of Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead without this interlude of Peter's ark and Peter's failure. They could have done that, but they didn't. Hallelujah, they didn't. They decided to highlight the flaws of people to spotlight the faithfulness of God. And I don't know if you've considered it this way or not, but these these stories are not true because they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're true. It's an enormous difference. That just putting some stories in it in, in what looks like a book, it doesn't magically make these things true. No, they, these stories, including Peter's failures, they pass the smell test. They had the chops. And under the direction of the Holy Spirit, the early church said, these stories are true. This narrative matters. This is becoming part of our Holy Scripture. There is an enormous difference there. And it makes the Bible not less inspired. It makes it more inspired, way more inspired than any sort of made-up tale could. And all of that, (laughs) all of that brings to where Peter's ark sort of ends up, he's believed, he's unbelieved, he's never believed. And, and in John chapter 20, because we've looked at Matthew and a quick look at Mark and a quick look at Luke, and in John chapter 20, we do read that, it, it's so funny, I love how John tells the story. Uh, he, he tells the story in such a way that he and Peter run to the empty tomb, they hear the tomb's empty, and they run there. And John tells us twice, but I'm faster. We ran And I won the race and I got there first. And as if we missed it the first time, he tells it to us again the second time. And then we read in John chapter 20, verse 9, that although they had seen the empty tomb, it says this, they still did not understand. And that just builds to the story that I really want to look at in John chapter 21. And this is a story that happens maybe a month later, maybe six weeks after the events of of Easter Sunday morning. And Peter, who who was a fisherman to start with, Peter is, is back out being a fisherman, which always made more sense to him than fishing for men. And he's out in the boat. He's out in the boat with his bros. And they're not having any luck trying to fish. And look at what happens when in chapter 21, and verse 5, they see a man on the lake shore, and look what happens. He, meaning the man, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. And he said, this man on the lake shore, well, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So fishing on their own, nothing. Throw it on the right side of the boat, you have more fish than you can deal with. And all that just sets up verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is how John talks about himself. Can we just admit John has never won any humility awards in the, in the early church? The, I'm, I'm faster and Jesus loves me more. As the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. Now, do you, do you see what happened? And, and don't worry, when it says that he wrapped, that, that 
He wrapped his outer garment around it for he had taken it off. Don't worry, good shepherd. It does not mean that Peter was fishing naked. That's not in the story. It does mean that he was fishing in his underwear. And it means he was. And it means something else. Think about it. He's fishing in his underwear. He knows he's going to jump off of the boat and into the water. And he puts more clothes on. Whoever puts more clothes on when you're jumping into the water, this is like the reverse of a skinny dip. Peter puts more clothes on to jump in the water. Why in the world would he do something? I mean, it's ridiculous enough that he's fishing in his underpants. Can I hear an amen for that? But, but yeah, that's deserving of applause, actually. No. So why would he put more clothes on? You know Why? Because at this moment, Peter, who believed and unbelieved and never believed, Peter now re-believes. And that's your new word. Peter re-believes. And the way we know that he re-believes is because no one in that day would ever meet a king, would ever meet a ruler, would ever meet a Messiah or a savior without dressing their best, even if in this case, dressing their best meant he's soaking wet. So Peter has to become, don't ever greet your Messiah in your underwear, amen. Peter, Peter, Peter has to become fully clothed because he is acknowledging that guy, that guy who told us to put our net on the right, he, I, I've been looking all my life for some kind of guru or some kind of politician or some kind of leader. I've had him all along. Peter re-believes. And so here's what I want you all to know, especially, especially those of you who are caught somewhere in that arc in your own life between unbelieving and, hey, I never believe. It's this. When you re-believe, you'll stop looking for a new Savior because you'll remember you already have one. Talk about, talk about, Talk about something we need in 2021. Everybody is looking for a guru, for a political savior, for an activist, for a celebrity influencer. We're all looking for someone to whom we can hitch our wagon. And if that's you, if you, oh, if we just have a new president, we just had our old president. If that's you, you're hitching your wagon to the wrong star. If you're looking for someone to deliver you and someone to make you and someone to complete you, you will always, always be disappointed, Good Shepherd, because know this, every politician you follow, every guru who you read, every activist who you admire, and listen, every preacher... Every preacher who you think really has it, every single one of them will let you down. They do have feet of clay. They're all shaky, modern saviors. And why look for a shaky, modern one when we can have the rock of ages, the ancient one? Man, when I think of when I was a much, much younger preacher, and I had the Methodist preacher, and I had these Methodist preachers who were kind of ahead of me in ministry, and I was like, oh, that's who I want to be when I grow up, and that's who I want to be when I grow up, and that's my role model, Methodist preacher, hero. And all those heroes, quarter of a century later, zeros. 
abandoned the faith, broken their vows. And we sing that song at Good Shepherd Church about the gospel truth of old, will not kneel and will not faint. And some of my deepest heroes, even in this faith, they have decided that that gospel truth of old needs to be modernized and upgraded. And I'm here to tell you it doesn't. That the gospel, the gospel is this treasure. And we're not this treasure. We don't, we don't mold it. We pass it on to the next generation. And all that explains that, that woman in, in our church who, who connected with this church during pandemic. Isn't that cool? Hey, when did, when did you start going to Good Shepherd Church? When they weren't meeting. <laughs> and I, we asked her, well, what, what shifted? And she just said, there was a hollowness inside. And I knew it needed filling. She re-believed. How about you? Have you been following shaky, modern saviors? Is it time for you to re-believe? And when you re-believe, you will remember. You don't need to look for a new savior because the one you got is perfectly fine. Thank you very much. And Peter's Peter's re-believing leap. Peter's re-believe. I got to put on my clothes to get wet. Peter's re-believing leap led to recommitting and redeploying. And for you, I just hope you know Jesus can't be a little bit important in your life. If resurrection is true and it isn't, Jesus can't be part of your life. Hello, he is your life. Peter took that re-believing leap. Why won't you? When you re-believe, you'll remember that you can stop looking for a new savior because you already have one. Let's pray. So Father, thank you for the re-believing of Peter. Thank you that inspired scripture talks about our heroes, warts and all, so that we can find ourselves in their story this morning. Would you move the people of Good Shepherd Church live and live stream to that moment of re-believing today in the strong, saving, rock of ages name of Jesus, we pray.